Okay, uh, welcome to another session of Gub Gab. And good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you are in the cyber universe. And I've entitled this Science and Politics. So we'll see where it goes, what I get out of it. And, you know, you might wonder how come that our politicians do such a terrible job. <coughs> Excuse me, I still have a bit of a cold. How come that they are not able to manage society the way they should be able to manage society? And one of the main reasons for that is because they do not know how to manage consciousness. They do not know how to manage the national consciousness because they look on consciousness as a classical scientific system, as a classical system. Whereas consciousness, the totality of all the people within the nation, national consciousness, is a unified field-based collection of people, collection of systems, collection of things which we call the nation, collection of people which we call the nation. And the nation is primary in Ireland. The state comes afterwards. According to our constitution, it's the nation is defined first and then the state is defined after that. But our politicians seem to spend all of their time talking about the state. And it's like the state has taken over, but not in the Constitution. And that's something that we need to remember. Now, what has that got to do with science? What amazes me is that we have no scientists in the doll. Our politicians are business people, teachers, one doctor at least, well at least one doctor and that's the only bit of a scientist that we have. We have an agricultural scientist and I wonder how come in this technical world that we do not have scientists in the door. Maybe it's because they foresee that politics is... <laughs> I'm just thinking of the beginning of a book I read once. Politics is a pious profession. And it was Maharishi absolute, Maharishi's absolute theory of government. And I said, wow, isn't that something, given what's going on in politics in the European Union, given what's going on in our own political system with Pascal O'Donoghue, our Minister for Finance, being found out. And you know, I don't understand why SIPO did not actually discover this for themselves beforehand 
they're supposed to be um, policing elections, policing the donations to politicians. But if our, and if our minister for finance, fine, it's not an enormous amount of money. But they need to be squeaky clean. Because purity in politics, politics is a pious profession, and purity in politics is an absolute obsession. It's an obsession with our politicians. And, you know, I was looking at some of the reports on our media from Davos, and, oh, Davos this and Davos that. And our Taoiseach, I had to think for a minute who our Taoiseach was. Was it Michal Martin or was it Leo Varadkar? It is Leo Varadkar. But they're like Tweedledum and Tweedledee. They're swapping over and back. And, you know, we could do with a new government in this country. We could do with a government where at least some of the politicians have some sort of a scientific pedigree. Some of the politicians have a technological background because I was thinking to myself, how come that our politicians and apparently our politicians make decisions? I don't really believe that anymore. I believe that it's all done by the secret service, the secret civil service who are secretly governing this country on behalf of international organisations which we know very little about. That may seem a bit like conspiracy theory. But when is the last time that a civil servant was really brought out of the back and shown up for what they are? They are incompetent. They are un able to run our country. They are unable to run the nation. They are incapable of resolving the issues which face the country from day to day to day. And you know when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees and all that in this country I remember a lady Standing up at a meeting in University College Cork in 1998. And this lady, this was at the time Dick Spring was Minister for Foreign Affairs. And this lady said, all I'm looking for is one thing. I can't remember her name, but I, it's just this memory has stuck within me. I cannot remember... exactly what she said but what she did say was more or less that she wanted the law to be upheld in other words if we have a law on asylum seekers then uphold the law and that's what we need now you know fine all these uh, Ukrainian refugees came into this country and they had to find some place to go. But, and I say with a but, 
should our own people be made on the lower rung, not able to get a, a accommodation or a, only able to get very poor accommodation? These things need to be discussed and discussed properly. Not, oh, if you oppose refugees, then you're a, a racist, you're right-wing, you're this. That's wrong. And maybe offer refugees the ability to contribute to the national consciousness of the country that they're in. Make a bargain with them that if they agree to learn to meditate, then they can stay in this country for 10 years, whatever else. I don't understand the ins and outs of this, but make it, make it a bargain, make it a, a, a trade. In other words, we will trade you for your awareness and you contribute to the awareness of the country. Now, that is a very radical proposal and I'm sure one that will not be accepted. But the scientific research on meditation, the scientific research on consciousness is sound. I've read the research. I'm not the only one who has read the research. And hopefully in time, I will be able to persuade a few people to discuss this with me on my podcast, Gib Gab. So I'm going to leave it there. Shine Garmagut Agaslan. Right, uh, welcome back to another Gub Gab, and I've entitled this Gub Gab, I Don't Know What to Say, and I'm just wondering what will I say when I don't have any specific um, topic in mind. Now, I was going to entitle this The First Day of School, but for some reason or other, I don't know whether that's appropriate or not. And I'm going to recite something which is called Ian Rowe, which is about the first day of school. And let's see where we get with it. Now, I'll just open it up. It's on page 165 in my book, Fatshina Gaulan, Folding the Branches. And Ian Rowe is ostensibly the first lesson in a Gaelic skull. For children who are learning mathematics or computation, or whatever else it is. Ian Rowe, a hen, Ian Suits a spare, a hen, ding dong, died the a doe, a hen, a hen is mona a, a doe. Ding dong, die the road, ding dong, die the A tree. A hen, a hen is mona a, a doe. A hen is mona a, a tree. Ding dong, die the road, ding dong, die the Ding dong, die the road, ding dong, die the A while live it's a now, I'll go through that and explain what it means in English. A hen, 
Ian, Suez Despair. And you can imagine the young children in school, first day of school, this could be the the master scholar, the principal of the school, or it could be the teacher that they have at that time. Comes in and starts off a hand. Ian, Suez Despair. So presumably the children have Irish, a bit of spoken Irish, and the teacher says, one, a bird up in the sky, in Suess's fair, a hen, ding dong, died the row. That's mixing in a little bit of music as well with the lesson. And the children are not expected to learn this off. They will absorb it over years and it will make sense over years. It's a mixture of language and um, singing, and the children will enjoy that. Ding dong, da da ro, a do, a hen, a hen is mona a, a do, one, one more than that, two, ding dong, da da ro, ding dong, da da re, a tree. So they go from one to two and now to three. And as someone said to me at one stage when I was developing this, it sort of breaks out or breaks down here because you can't go beyond three. A hen, a hen is mona a, a do, a hen is mona a, a three. What we do in a sense. Ding dong, die the road, ding dong, die the re. Ding dong, die the road, ding dong, die the re. So we have four little phrases there to get the sense of fourness. And then we say, oh, why are you living ish? The children are getting tired. It's, they've nearly finished their first lesson in school. Oh, why are you living ish? It's Araya, onwards. Avaya Livinish, Isaraya, and onwards we go. Iligadi Ani, all to nine. So the children know we're going up to nine digits. Undarade, the last ten. And when the principal says Undarade, they move their hand a little bit to give an idea that something different is happening there. And that gives the notion of in, in one sense, it gives the notion one more than that for every digit. So it fills the space between the digits with one more than that. And it gives the notion of Ding Dong Diderot, the song, which is very famous in Kerry, um, has been promoted as part of Shame Satira for many years. And then we, we get Illigadi Ani, all to nine. We go onwards from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven, eight and nine. Ain, Do, three, Kahar, Kui, She, Shacht, Okt, Nui, De. All to nine, the last ten. So that's the first day of school. And that's the very beginning of the educational system under Duharaviyat, 
the integration of language, teaching of language, teaching of arithmetic, and teaching of song and music. And it will take a lot of work to put that in the context of the current educational system. And, you know, the current educational system tends to look at different subjects as if they are actually different. But to a young student, they're all the same. They're all just learning. They're all a mixture of mathematics and language and song and dance and everything like that. I know that the education system does this, but it needs to be integrated more so that there are more topics. And after all, we have one mind, we have one brain, we have one intellect, we have one um, being that, we're, that we, uh, that the educational system must enliven knowledge within. And that's it. That's all I, that's what I have to say when I don't know what I have to say, when I don't know what to say. Um, I'll see if I can come up with something now, cut something else now. I was just looking at the uh, our A report on RTE from Davos, and there I'd be critical of our current um, government or our current government system. But you know they seem to have forgotten that they are elected by the Irish people, not to run the country as a business, but to run the country with compassion to run the country with knowledge. And that, I don't think, is being really done. And, you know, we need a national conversation on education. We need a national conversation on homelessness. We need a national conversation on... Dare I say it? We need a conversation on immigration... We need a conversation on refugees and various things like that. And, you know, there are uh, things at the moment whereby we do not have enough accommodation to fulfil our um, obligations under various UN treaties. Then we need to say to the United Nations, the country is full. There's no point in bringing in more refugees. There's no point in bringing in more asylum seekers when we do not have enough resources in the country. Either that or get more resources. Handle the situation. But don't... I mean, I was, I was looking at something recently where the government were basically saying, we'll give you food stamps, but we will not give you accommodation unless you're Ukrainian refugees. How come that there is this big difference being made between... Sorry, it was just... I hit something there. How come there's a big difference being made between uh, Ukrainian refugees and non-Ukrainian refugees? Is that because there is a European directive and dare we question Europe? Well, I say it's time for us to stand up for ourselves and question Europe. And Shinne, Gurub Mahagat Agatslan.
Right. Uh, welcome to another session of Gub Gab. And I have entitled this, Is Queen Yum, I Remember. And probably the best start of any book that I remember is Until Anak by Tomaso Crehan. And it begins, Is Queen Yum Ve I remember being at my mother's breast. Now, my memory, and I doubt if many people's memory would extend that back that far, but that's how he started the book. It's a wonderful book, a wonderful exposition of a particular um, dialect of Irish, a particular way of speaking Irish. And when I went back to learning the language, in 1997 or 1998, 1998 more properly, I got a copy of Antilonic. I got a copy of the book and I also got a copy of the a recitation of the book and it was performed by someone who had lived in the Irish so they had the authentic language. Now what I noticed was the Irish was very simple. It was dealing with fairly simple things, living on the island, the seasons, nature, cows, dealing with sheep and various other things like that, dealing with seals. And it took me a while to learn to live with that simplicity and oftentimes when we're learning something today, we expect things to be very complicated and very um, complex. But, you know, life can be very simple as well. And it's very beautiful to see the simplicity of the Irish language and the complexity of the Irish language. And at one stage I was asked a question, where does my my Irish come from? And I said, from West Kerry. And they said, what part of West Kerry? And I told the story about being influenced by the language of the Blaskets. And they said, we could hear that in the way you spoke. And I wouldn't have the ability to determine another person's dialect or another person's kind is the Irish word for their, the way they speak. Another person's bloss. Bloss is the taste of the language. Is queenlum ve evralach mavahar. I remember being at my mother's breast. My first memory is being about three years of age. And I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. And I was playing with men's in the kitchen and my mother was running around doing whatever she was doing. She was probably getting the dinner ready. And I went out to have a look at something in the garden and just running up alongside the garden was a little boring, a little small road. And I ran back into my mother and said, Mama, Mama. I know she said, what's wrong with you, my fata? What's wrong with you, my pet? I don't know whether she spoke Irish, but I'm sure she had a few words like that. And I said, I'd seen a big, big, ugly thing. So she brought me out again to see what it was that had caused me such distress. 
and it was a donkey. I'd never seen a donkey before. And she told me, oh, there's nothing to worry about. It's not a big devil or anything like that. It's just a donkey. And oftentimes memories like that can excite or incite um, difficulties in our lives. And, you know, I was wondering today, I had a memory dealing with my own family and it's causing me a certain amount of stress or distress at the moment. And I was saying, how do I deal with that? How do I actually, I won't say eliminate it because it's virtually impossible to eliminate a, a memory, but how do I stop it becoming stronger and stronger? And one way is just to feel it. Let it come up if it wants to come up. And then gradually feel it at an earlier stage and an earlier stage and an earlier stage until eventually it's fa it fails to gain prominence in your awareness. And I was walking downtown today and I decided, you know, I'll do something which I have done over the last few days a little bit which is to go to the church and the church brings back memories to people bad memories oftentimes difficult memories and that's because religion was forced upon us as a people as an individual I don't go to church very often but I decided to go in and light a candle and then I said now who am I going to light a candle to so I lit a candle for two people who've since passed away and I hadn't thought of them in quite a while so I lit the candle and stayed for not too long I don't spend too long in, in church it's a matter of making the effort of lighting the candle and then going away and feeling happy with it and you know people might ask me why do you not go to church a person I know I won't say who it was asked me that and we ended up in an argument about the church and he was being very oh I'm a great Catholic I'm this and I'm that and I found it very difficult and eventually I had to tell him I tell you the reason that I don't go to church I don't know if I said this at the time but I'm saying it now anyway the reason that I stopped going to church when I did which was about the age of 14 or 15 was that I could not understand how people who had abused me within the previous two years could walk up to church on a Sunday morning and be also holier than thou, and yet they were paedophiles. And when that happens to you, you become a little bit wary of people like that. You become a little bit wary of churches and and. You know, people who say, oh, I'm a great Catholic, and yet they do terrible things. And it's one of the things that I have struggled with throughout my life. And I know that I'm not the only person, but these were not people in, in schools. These were not people in religion. They were just ordinary people, and they were paedophiles. And there were a lot of paedophiles in Ireland and I've struggled with that myself. It caused me a lot of difficulties throughout the years. I used to drink too much and I used to smoke too much. Both of which were ways of getting rid of this feeling of loss of innocence.
And that's what I want to say is that when if when you're abused as a child, you lose your innocence far too young. Not that we ever not that sex ever causes loss of innocence. Sex is great. And don't ever think otherwise. Sex is a gift of the creator to us so that we can keep the human race um, going and keep them it's a beautiful thing and love is a beautiful thing but unfortunately it becomes corrupted once innocence is lost there's a sense of dirtiness there's a sense of smuttiness and I used to drink to get drunk because I didn't know how to relate to people. I didn't know how to relate to ladies and I was afraid. And it was my good wife who showed me that there was no need to be afraid, that love was a great thing and I thank her for that. She's gone from us now and before she left, I don't know if I ever said this to her but I'd say it now, I called her the mother of compassion. Mohrna Tosha. Tosh is, is an Irish word for compassion. And we need more compassion in this world. We need more compassion in life. We need more compassion in politics. And we need more compassion in religion. And that's all I'll say. That's my memory for today. Shine, Gurmahagut Agaslan.